Lacrosse All-Stars presents In Your Face LaxCast. Unfiltered opinions on the most controversial topics in the game of lacrosse. I'm Ryan Dennehy, former Division I college and pro player and Division I college coach, currently living and coaching in the city of Philadelphia. I'm joined with my co-host, Andy Towers, the legend, former Division I college head coach, MLL All-Star, three-time All-American, and arguably the best to ever play the midfield position. Each show, we dive into the world of lacrosse from high school, college, to pro, as well as bring on special guests. You can subscribe to us via iTunes and check us out on Twitter at InYourFaceLax for more information. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, AT. We just uh, we just we just came into Back in Black by ACDC. You can't really hear it there in New Canaan, but I'm setting this whole thing up. It's gonna be sick. It'll be awesome. Uh, pretty jacked about it. We got a lot. Uh, we got a great lineup today. Of course, a recap of the games and shockers, but also an in-your-face take at the media poll. Uh, AT. It helps if I uh, press the record button on the first podcast, so we don't have to keep doing this over and over again, doesn't it? Yeah, that, that would help. It is. For sure. It is. Uh, so yesterday uh, started off real well for me. At uh, I had uh, two meetings, which isn't so bad. I had two free meals, right, and then I had fifty six dollars worth of parking tickets to end the day. Uh, How much ranch dressing did you put into your hole? <laughs> I went balsamic. Uh, not not that much ranch dressing. Boy, boy you've changed. <laughs> Uh, All right, let's start the show off. We got uh, speed round. Uh, Harvard, UMass, another uh, thrilling OT victory for Harvard. What would you think? Uh, You know, look, a a, a huge gutsy win by Harvard, which is certainly a program not known for gutsy wins. (laughs) Um, You know, beating UMass on the road, the third overtime comeback win to start the season for Harvard, unprecedented. I've never heard of three overtime games in a row in my life, let alone three overtime comeback wins uh, while getting crushed at the faceoff. Act. Right. You know, they bring in arguably the best faceoff recruit in the country, and you know, for whatever reason, they're getting demolished at that facet of the game. And for them to come back and win while getting demolished at that point of the game. That part of the game is is shocking. So certainly, uh, you know, a tribute to Ben and Woj and their players for continuing to make the game a sixty minute game. Yeah, no doubt. You know, Devin Dwyer. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no Morgan Cheek. I mean, a kid can be more clutch. I mean, it's the real deal. Uh, you mentioned it last week. I think his mom was like what 12, 12 letter winner. At the- I think just. I think she was a twelve letter athlete at Harvard, That's incredible. which is not, it's not run of the mill. <laughs> That's right there. Neck and neck with three overtime comeback <laughs> wins to start the season as stats. You just don't hear that much. Devin Dwyer playing at a very, very high level right now. Um, you know, him and Morgan cheek form a great one, two punch on the offensive end for Harvard. And they're getting it down, done down the stretch of the games. Uh, you know, if this team ever starts to win faceoffs and, or ever starts the game, uh, you know, right out of the right off the opening whistle, they're going to be a, they're going to be a scary team. You got to believe that these three wins are going to help them as the season progresses into April and uh, potentially into May as well. No doubt. Georgetown, Towson, uh, Ryan Drenner, four and three for Towson. Uh, Georgetown in the penalty box, five penalties, 
three goals against during that town uh, that time. Uh, Towson's defense playing real strong uh, throughout the game, uh, stacking up as arguably one of the better defenses in the country right now. Really, really impressive stuff. Um, you know, obviously Towson proving themselves early this year, uh, but they've got a tough stretch coming up. Uh, they've got uh, Loyola this week. Uh, they've got UMBC this weekend. Uh, that's not even a lacrosse game. That's a bar fight. Uh, Natty Bo. <laughs> Sponsored by Natty Bo. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, you got Johns Hopkins uh, later on for Towson. So uh, really interesting game. What would you, you think of that one? I think you look at these two programs, and it's, it's like a time-lapse difference between the two. I, I see... Both programs on the way up. You know, Towson, we can say, has officially arrived based on what they've done the last couple of seasons. But, you know, I wasn't surprised to see Towson win. Uh, you know, Georgetown, there's no question that Kevin Warren and Rook, that these guys have made this program their program. You know, I think they're on the way up. They're getting more and more good players that fit the style of play that they want to compete with. Um, you know, the stat that really jumps out for me is 14 turnovers for Georgetown, seven for Towson. You can't have a ratio of two to one turnovers versus Towson when Towson's defensive scheme and overall, you know, uh, they don't beat themselves. Their defense is great. You know, it seems like for Towson, if they can score eight goals, they're going to they're going to win a lot of games. You know, who else can you really say that about other than, you know, potentially Yale and Notre Dame? Right. Uh, you know, but but I think that Georgetown is uh, it's just a few years behind Towson. I have Towson as a, you know, a top 10 team or pretty yep. close, like right yep. there. And Georgetown, I think, is, is probably fighting to get into the top 15 right now. I don't have them quite there yet, but I would not be surprised to see them, you know, beat Hofstra this weekend, um, you know, at all. That wouldn't shock me at all. What, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's Warren's fourth season. Uh, I mean, he's got, the lot, he's got a lot of show for uh, in, in his fourth season. He's got, he's got a long way to go to, uh, still uh, to get to where, uh, not necessarily the Towsons of the world, but certainly where he wants to be, which is, you know, the top five teams, where the Loyolas of the world are right now, uh, what Toomey's done with his program. So, you know, things are looking good for Georgetown, but just like I said last week, I, I just, they're just not there yet. They play a team like Notre Dame. They're not even close. It wasn't even shocking to see them lose by five. So uh, to see T Towson take down Georgetown uh, wasn't all that shocking, but Towson looked really good. Uh, your alma mater, Brown, versus Stony Brook University in 30 goals. 30 goals is incredible. It, uh, yes, and not surprising. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, this was an absolute roller coaster offensively. Uh, you know, what a win for Lars Tiffany going back to Stony Brook, Long Island, where he was Amy's coach of the year, I believe, in a second season yep. of only two seasons at Stony Brook before he went up and took over the head job at Brown. Um, you know, frankly, this is a ballsy game for Lars to schedule. Yes. You know, I think that you can certainly see the appeal for Stony Brook to schedule Brown, uh, you know, but for Brown to to play Stony Brook, which is, you know, I think a solid top 20 team, even though they aren't currently in the top yep. 20. I think by the season's end, you're going to see that Stony Brook, you know, has perhaps this is the only regular season loss for right. them. I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, win the Am East, go undefeated in, in, in regular season play and win the Am East tournament right. at all. Uh, you know, special shout out to Jack Kelly, 20 saves, the Brown goalkeeper, you know, a Long Island native to go back there and do that. 
Uh, I, I think he's firmly the best goaltender in the Ivy League, one of the four or five best goalies in, in the whole country. And, and then, of course, on the other side, Dylan Malloy, you know, three and six, Ivy League player of the week. What a he's beast. A um, he is a monster. And so it's great to see as an alum of the school and uh, just a really impressive road victory for Brown, you know, validates the start of their season and certainly validates their attendance in the top 10 teams in the country. I, I, How about I you, agree. Uh, Dylan Molloy, three goals. Brendan Caputo, three, go- three goals. Excuse me. Kyler, is it Kyler? Kyler, Bellistry? I don't know, dude. I don't, I don't do, I don't do, I do Doug, Ken, Jim, John. I don't do Kyler, Julian, <laughs> very, Blair. Very Ivy League name. He's got three goals. Yeah. Henry Blinn's got three goals. Your poll's got two assists, which means he's running up and down the field. Larkin Kemp should be. Our poll's the best a- in the country. 100%. Uh, Bobby Schmidt from uh, Bellarmine is right up there as one of the best in the country as well. But Larkin Kemp is the real deal. Uh, I was fortunate enough to watch them uh, last week uh, in practice and watching him get up and down the field. He's just proven himself day in and day out, week in and week out, as the best pole in the country and should be on the list for the Tawarton finalists if he continues continues this path. But it should be interesting, too, to see Brown the next uh, three games or four or five games, UMass, uh, at Holy Cross midweek, midweek game, uh, Michigan, then at Harvard, at Villanova, uh, then Princeton. It doesn't get easier for Brown, but uh, certainly should be uh, interesting to see them prove that they should deserve to be in that top 10. Uh, Princeton at Hofstra. This one was awesome, as, as you know, advertised. Uh, Ryan Ambler, 2-4. and four. Gavin McBride, 3-1. and one. Zach Courier with a great uh, game at the faceoff X, battling in between the lines. Just fun to hit for him to watch uh, or for fans to watch on the Princeton side. But, uh, I mean, it wasn't enough for this Hofstra team. No, you know, look, this, we, we talked last week after Hofstra knocked off North Carolina and, and we looked at this game as a game that, you know, is, is going to either validate Hofstra as a contender this year or, or not. And certainly they answered the bell. Uh, you know, they, they handled success. You know, it's one thing when your team doesn't play well and you come back, you know, with a great concentrated effort. It's another thing when your team goes down to Chapel Hill, beats one of the, uh, you know, best programs in the country in North Carolina at their house and comes back, handles that success and then validates that with a win over, you know, traditional powerhouse Princeton. It says a ton about Seth Tierney having a pulse on his team for him to keep those guys dialed in at practice all week and then come out and win a close game against, you know, a great program. You know, the highlight, obviously, Josh Byrne, five goals, including the yep. winner, you know, for the Canadian. It's, it's, they're a scary yeah. team. With them, Sam Linares, you know, their face-off guy, Clark, coming off a year where they, listen, probably underachieved last year. I don't think anybody would say anything different than that. Con Cannon at the goal, this and is, the goal this, is incredible. Con yes. Cannon? Yeah, this is this is this is a this is a Hofstra is a legitimate top ten yep. team. They got NJIT today, and then they got Georgetown at home this weekend. That's a scary game for Hofstra. You know, they're not going to look past anybody, but I think that they are going to easily handle New Jersey today. And then with Kevin Warren, a Hofstra grad, coming 
back to his alma mater, bringing Georgetown with a chip on their shoulder after losing to Notre Dame and Towson. I wouldn't be surprised to see Georgetown walk away with this victory, but let's see if Seth Tierney can replicate you know, his mission this past week and keep his team focused and blue-collar the mentality with Georgetown coming to town on the weekend. It's going to be interesting yeah, to see. I, I, what bothers me more about this game, uh, not necessarily the actual game itself, is what came out of the game. I thought for sure. I mean, first off, Princeton was ranked in the top 20 going into the season. Obviously, with the first weekend of games, they're not playing, so they get bumped out. No big deal. It happens, right? Uh, but now, all of a sudden, you know, you've got a game. they got a one-loss OT game against, what, the number eight team in the country in Hofstra? Um, and all of a sudden, they get no, no love for that whatsoever. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous that they were ranked 20th, bumped out because they didn't even play a game yet, and then all of a sudden they get a one-loss OT, but yet Navy loses one game OT to Hopkins, and they're number 16 in the country. I mean, this is kind of ridiculous at this point that, you know, these media polls are coming out and all this stuff. I mean, you know, you look back at there's, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, Princeton hasn't done anything really in the last couple of years. I mean, it's all full of one-goal losses. I mean, look at 2015. Outside of the Maryland early loss, they beat Hopkins, who went to the Final Four. They lost a big one to Cornell uh, right before the tournament, and they got crushed by them. But then they beat them in the round one of the tournament, lost in the Ivy League championship to one, to Yale, uh, and arguably got screwed out of the tournament. And then in 2014, outside of, again, uh, the beating they took from uh, JHU early in the year, every single game was by a one-goal loss. Uh, UNC and Cornell by two, Yale, Brown, and Harvard by one. And imagine if they were on the other side of those one-goal losses. Princeton would be in the top ten right now in our consideration, and they would be right next to Hofstra as probably eight, nine in the country, but they're not even close in the top 20. And I know we're going to talk about the rankings, so we'll move on here to Army at Syracuse, but I just think it's kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. When you Army Syracuse, Army goes up to the Dome, what do you think they're Yeah, there? I mean, uh, you know, first off, uh, Army is a team that's they're never afraid of you, ever. Uh, they're going to come in, and I've always said this, they played 1989 defense. Uh, they're going to chase you all around the field. It looks like they don't really have a scheme on defense, but they 100% do. Uh, it's really great because they get out there, and they're going to get in your face. They feel like they're in better shape. They feel like they're tougher than you. Uh, and they're going to make you feel really uncomfortable on the offensive end. Uh, and when they do that, things, things happen. The, people make bad decisions. They get rushed. The offenses get rushed. They're not, they don't get in a comfort zone. They can't get in a rhythm. And there you go. you got a one-goal game all the way through the entire contest. Uh, so for me, uh, the big thing was is making you know, Q's uncomfortable. Then the other side was, is Q's really the team we all thought they were in the beginning of the season? Uh, you know, is, is, is Donahue really that guy? Uh, for uh, Syracuse. Can the other guys break down their guys? Can they control a game? Maybe this was a nice test for Syracuse and going into it and saying, all right, well, these are the mistakes. These are the things we need to work on. Uh, but otherwise, you know, one of the biggest stats that I saw was Q's was 0 for 2 in man up and Army was 3 for 4. There's your difference in the game if it's a one-goal game, two-goal game. If they go ahead and go 1 for 2 and man up for Q's and Army goes 1 for 4, that's a three-goal, that's a four-goal swing. Q's wins by five, and we're not even talking about this game. Yeah, I think that's, uh, so, uh, that's a great assessment. It's, it's great to watch a team like Army and you've got to credit 100%. Joe Alberici and his staff for incorporating conditioning into their game plan. You know, to step out 
and pressure around the perimeter. You know, everybody comes into the dome, particularly into the dome, you know, a little nervous right. about cues. People are afraid to get out and pressure a team like that with the kind of players that they have, the depth that they have, you know, but you know, Army, certainly they fear no one. They are superiorly conditioned, as we said, and for them to step out and know that that is an advantage for them and to take advantage of it without any fear is, is, a, great, is a great game plan. You know, I'm not sold on Syracuse at all. You know, I look at, you know, Ben Williams dominating the faceoff X yep. again, and they win a 9-8 game in the Dome. And, you know, what happens when Ben Williams doesn't win 75% right. of the faceoffs? What happens when they play Denver or North Carolina or Maryland or even Brown and Villanova, who I believe, you know, possess the best faceoff guys out there outside of Ben Williams or alongside Ben yep. Williams you know, it, it, what is? I think that exposes Syracuse yep. a little bit. Now they're going to get better over the course of the season; they always do. But I don't. I'm, I'm not sold on Syracuse at this point as you know a a team that's you know right there with Notre Dame and Denver and Duke and and even Yale to some degree. I just uh, it, I, I need to I need to see more out of Syracuse before I'll be a believer. How do they play when they aren't dominating the faceoffs? That's something that I'll right. We're going to see it against Charlottesville uh, this week against UVA. You know, against UVA, <laughs> and we know how UVA is playing. So it'll be really interesting to see them uh, match up against a team like UVA. Uh, Bucknell Colgate. I kind of called this one this week. That uh, one you did one you goal did game uh, went to the home team this time. What'd you think, At? You know, that's really the only stat to me that sticks out is, you know, where are they playing the game? And you said it last week when we spoke about this game. I picked Bucknell, you picked Colgate, and the reason that you picked Colgate was that it was in Hamilton, New York. And Bucknell came into the game 3-0, a stud faceoff guy, you know, always one of the best coach teams in the country. Colgate had lost to Michigan you know, on their heels a little bit. I think they beat Binghamton, you know, and, and you come into this game or I'm looking at the game and I'm thinking Bucknell's going to win this game even though they have to travel, but you nailed it. Uh, the uh, the home team won and, and credit Mike Murphy. In the yeah, I mean, uh, one of the big stats for me was Bucknell went 13 for 21 in the clear and still lost a one-goal game in overtime. Uh, I, I didn't actually get to see the game, but I'm curious if Colgate went to a 10-man ride in that, especially after playing Michigan, thinking like, hey, let's, that, that, that really you know, disturbed us in that game. Uh, let's try to go after it against Bucknell. And for a team like Bucknell, who rides as hard as they do, who's so methodical in their clears, they take their time on both sides of the ball, uh, you know, it's interesting to see them go 13 for 21. So that was an interesting stat. And they still, even in 13 out of 21 clears, they still only lost by one in overtime. So uh, again, uh, an interesting game. Nonetheless, a huge game with huge consequences going into for the Patriot League, especially with BU beating Navy. And we'll get to that in a second. Marquette at Richmond. Bottom line is Marquette is the hardest team to play at home. It's just scary to think about. I mean, they are the road team, bottom line. It really is. I was shocked by the margin of victory. I actually thought Richmond would win this game. You know, Richmond is, I think, uh, you know, one of the scarier new program teams out there, along with Marquette. I just felt that given the travel that Marquette wouldn't be able to, to beat Richmond at home. And not only did they beat them, but they, they thrashed them. I mean, 7-2. to two. 
I think that the shooting stat was yeah. two for 32, was I believe. So <laughs> and we haven't seen that kind of shooting since John Starks played the Houston Rockets <laughs> in the 1994 <laughs> NBA championship. And as a Knicks fan, that was hard to watch. For, fortunately, the Rangers won, which I like the Rangers better, so that was fine. I'll take that wash. Another uh, stat that jumps out at me is Marquette's defense is obviously very solid. Very solid. Uh, 80% save percentage for as opposed Jamie Danner. As opposed to but Danny But only eight he, saves. He. He's a her. I'm a he. Yeah. As we, as we referenced before, Danny He, that, that comes with some <laughs> unforeseen baggage that uh, you better be super crafty if you're going to try to circumvent that. But what, yeah, what eight, eight saves, 80%. I mean, again, Richmond, two goals on 32 shots. I mean, Dan Shimani must be pulling his hair out for being an offensive guy as he is. That must be super, super frustrating. I mean, I've, I've been on that side of the, you know, that side of the field and that side of the ball and having those kind of stats, it's very frustrating. Um, you know, you can't do a lot for, you know, you can't go out there and play for your team, that's for sure, because you know Dan wanted to do that at every point of that game, I'm sure. Uh, my biggest thing is all of a sudden Marquette beats Richmond, and now they're number 17 in the country. Let's give them the number one award, you know, number one in the country. They beat Richmond. Give it to them. You know, they're awesome. They're big time. These, these, these polls are so ridiculous, yet Princeton loses to the number eight team in the country, and they're not ranked. Uh, you know, listen, Marquette, yeah. Amplo, all the power to him. That guy, it, it, much like Canella, uh, you know, he's a representation of his team. They're tough. They get on the road, and they did it all in season one because they didn't even have a place to play up there. Uh, they go on the road every single right. time, and they are the toughest team to beat at home. So um, great stuff. But in terms of the poll, what a joke. Number 17, get out of here. Uh, Fairfield <laughs> at Rutgers. Uh, Scott Vieta, I think it is. I, you know, I, I'm not really sure. Vieta, Vieta. I apologize if I'm butchering your name, uh, but uh, one in five on the day. Rockers has found themselves an attackman. Uh, they really have. And in order for you to compete at this level and then certainly compete at the Big Ten level, you got to have an attackman. And Rockers finally got one. On the other half, I don't know, AT, Fairfield? I mean. Yeah, I, listen, coming into the season, I would have thought that Fairfield would have been 3 0, Rockers would have been 0 3. Uh, but you got two teams really headed in different directions. I mean, Fairfield has they they they're in a right. tailspin. I mean, they play UMass Lowell, which I think is one of the better coached teams out there, certainly of the newer programs. But they're not going to have enough. Fairfield's going to win that game, and then Fairfield plays Stony Brook at Georgetown, Yale at Colgate. I mean, I think in. Three and a half to four weeks, we're going to be looking up, and Fairfield is going to be one and seven, or pretty close to that. Right? You know, um, they're they're in trouble. You know, they are in trouble. And but but credit Brian Brecht. You know, he came off a season. I think they were two and twelve last year, or pretty close to it. And you know, he has this team focused, playing well. As you referenced, they got a great senior attackman, and his supporting cast is yeah. young. They got. You know, a couple of freshmen, a couple of sophomores. So Rutgers is is only going to get stronger offensively in the future, and uh, you know, watch watch out for them. You know, they're they're playing like they don't have a lot to lose, and it's it's good to see. Yeah, so. no doubt. Uh, Fifteen turnovers for Fairfield, only nine for Rutgers. That's not going to get you a win. We're going to be right back with our in your face weekly shockers. Uh, maximize your comfort. Welcome back to the show. 
Uh, in your face, weekly shockers. Uh, we've got five on the list, AT. First up, uh, a game that completely shocked me. Villanova in College Station against PSU. Penn State University. Uh, a 10-goal 10 goal win by Villanova. Um, Jake for Carroll, eight and two, eight goals on 13 shots, uh, 10 total points. Uh, not only did Jake have a great shooting uh, day, but Penn State can't save a beach ball. It's really brutal. Uh, they've got some serious issues in the cage. Uh, but for Caro, going eight and two after going two and 14 on shooting uh, in the Harvard game after losing by one uh, by one in overtime. What a brutal performance there, but. Man, he went from, what, 17% to 67%, ironing it out right to 35 where he should be the whole year. Uh, so that was a big stat, and I'm sure uh, the Palma Deso stat uh, impressed you as well. Yeah, I'm sure Marco Rubio was hoping he could make the same sort of jump in percentage, but I don't think it's happening. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what jumps out at me is the combination of Luke Palma Deso went 22 for 27 at the X against Penn State, and that kid's good. The Penn State kid is good. And Luke Pelmodesso just crushed him. You marry Russian. up that dominance at the X along with the unique offense that Villanova has. It's a ton of motion that's hard to prepare for. Villanova's a scary team. Yeah. You know, I would never have thought that they would have beaten Penn State by 10 goals at Penn right. State, particularly right. after Penn State, you know, coming off a, a good win at Cornell. This blew me away, but it shows you that. You know, if Jake Fricaro is, is going to take 14 shots and score eight of them or whatever it is, it's – who's covering him? I mean, <laughs> who's covering but him? Who's saving the ball? Who's in net? I yeah. mean, apparently no one. It's um, tough. It's a, it it's is, a tough. but Paul Modesto is easily putting himself up, but he might even be better than Baptiste. Uh, you know, Baptiste getting challenged. I mean, the schedule's a little different with Denver, obviously, yep. than, than Villanova. But, yep. I mean, it would be great to see those two battle it out. Uh, number 15, uh, they should roll up until Brown. They've got Draxel, Delaware, Penn, Bucknell, Fairfield, then Brown. I mean, in theory, if they are as good as we say they are, and they're as good as, you know, advertised, and they really are the number 15 team in the country, uh, then they should roll over the next few games. Uh, but I just... I don't know what what Villanova we're going to team uh, you know what team are we going to see from Villanova or what kind of a shooter we're going to see from Jake Fricaro over the next few games who knows but uh it should be interesting UNC at Hopkins on Homewood Field um one big stat before you get into I know you've got some things uh is that neither team can save the ball right now Brock Turnbaugh was 35% in the net Brian Balcom is 39% I don't think Brian Balcom has gotten over 45% in any game he's been uh, in all year this year. Uh, that's a scary stat if you're UNC and you're on staff and you're trying to figure things out. Uh, but a great win, of course, from UNC uh, going up into uh, Baltimore, into Homewood, and doing what they did. Uh, but, A.T., what would you think? Uh, you know, well, you got two traditional powerhouses on a collision course, both starving for, uh, you know, a win in this situation. And for yep. Carolina to come in and win what has you know, become the fifth straight game against Hopkins in nine of the last ten, just shocks me. You know, I right. just can't believe that they've had that level of dominance considering that when Joe Bresch took over Carolina, they were at rock bottom. And he's, you know, he's received some criticism based on their performance in postseason. But, you know, this, this actually doesn't surprise me. You and I both picked North Carolina in this game. Uh, you know, 
Johns Hopkins just looks like they're kind of searching for an identity. You know, obviously they lost two of their top midfielders. Uh, but the clearing game in particular was just atrocious and, oh God, and very so odd for, you know, a well-coached team. It, it looked right. like the goalie on one particular play, the goalie gets the ball, you know, brings it behind the goal, cradles it, drops it, <laughs> hiccup vest, picks it up again, <laughs> drops it, hiccup vest. I think Carolina picked it up, threw it, you know, to a guy in the crease, dunked it for a goal. You know, you just you can't have that. And I always think of Hopkins as one of the best coached teams in the country, but I think that they're on their heels for sure right now as they start to figure out which pieces go where. Um, you know, obviously, Stanwick, Ryan Brown, you know, they're two of the best attackmen in the country. But they just, against Carolina in this game, this looked like Carolina won the matchups on both ends of the field. It looked like, you know, they were running by the Hopkins defense one-on-one, the Hopkins defense been one-on-one and scoring goals. And, you know, on the other end, it seemed like they were winning the matchups, putting the ball on the ground. And it, it uh, you know, at the end of the day, they won the game. You know, you had right. Stephen Kelly going 17 for 25 at the X, but with lots of help on the wings. You know, you looked at the first quarter of faceoffs, and I thought Mataraz was dominating him as it related just to the move. He would look like he was, you know, a little more on the front end of the whistle, looked like he was sliding the line a little bit more and being able to get the ball, you know, out in front. But, you know, credit Stephen Kelly for making the adjustments and sure enough, warm out in the end and won the statistical battle and Carolina ended up winning the game. So huge win for Carolina and uh, a really, really tough loss for the Jays. They got Princeton this weekend, as you said before, Princeton underrated. Uh, and they're going to present a huge challenge if they've done really well against Johns Hopkins in the past few years. So, um, you it's know, it's going to be interesting to the outcome. Yeah, it's a great, great win, win for UNC. Great win, especially after all the trash talk that's been hitting their face uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, HPU, High Point University, our boy Torp, taking down Virginia at Charlottesville. Um, what did you think right away, Torp? Hi, Towers. What a win for Torp and Pat and their team. You know, obviously coming in to the game, Uh, 0-3, they lost to Duke, they lost to Maryland, they lost to BU, you know, and they played their third ACC game, or I guess Maryland isn't the ACC anymore, but they played their, you know, third huge top traditional top 10 team, and they stepped up and they they dominated the game. I mean, it sounded like they had an illegal stick penalty towards the end of the third quarter. Otherwise, this, this could have been you know, uh, a, a four or five goal win for High Point. You know, they yep. beat them in, in all facets of the game. And, you know, uh, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that much. I mean, John Torpy, Pat Tracy, these guys get their teams ready to compete. There's no question about that. And, you know, Virginia certainly learned, you know, another hard lesson that you got to respect every opponent. And, and today's Division One lacrosse, that is true more so than ever before with the amount of Great players playing in high school nationwide. There's simply too many great players for not enough opportunities to play Division One lacrosse, and these kids got to go somewhere. And you know they are, uh, you know, helping lacrosse address, you know, the need for parity. And I think that this was a perfect example of where the game is going. And I was just really. Really happy for John Torpy and his staff. Those guys, uh, no doubt, it's great W. No yeah, doubt, great W. I mean, uh, Torp, you can see it on the field. He took a page uh, out of the Cornell Dartmouth uh, scouting report um, back in 2010. 
uh, completely putting Virginia's offense on their heels, uh, snapping in. So they come down on transition. They'd be in man-to-man. Uh, then, the, you know, they'd get a shot on Cage or they'd set up in their man-to-man offense and boom, they'd pop in his own offense. Then Virginia would recognize it a little late, you know, try to set up into their zone offense and then boom, they'd snap back into man-to-man. Uh, it's a really annoying defense to do. Uh, Virginia was not prepared for it at all. Not many teams at all are actually prepared for it. But there's, you know, you mentioned it, AT. There's, they didn't want anything to do with being on that field, the kids, the Cavaliers. They wanted nothing to do with being on that field. Uh, you could see the lack of passion there. And they basically handed High Point a, vis- a victory, but High Point went out there and they wanted it more. Every kid on that team wanted it more. The coaching staff wanted it more. Uh, and they prepared for it better. Uh, it was a really great victory for High Point. Really well done. Uh, so pumped to see Torp uh, you know, get his biggest, arguably his biggest victory um, you know, in his career against an ACC uh, team. Uh, so it should be great to see him move on. Uh, great test for him before he ends up uh, or starts his uh, SOCON conference uh, schedule. Navy at BU in Boston. Navy choking up in, in Boston. That was a tough one to take. What would you think, A.T.? I was shocked, but you know what? Ryan Poley's done an unbelievable job with BU. As one of the newer programs out there, they seem like they have really hit the ground running. Yep. You know, the stat that jumps out for me, 15 saves for Carson Bannister versus just five for Navy's goalie John Connors. Yep. You know, a, a difference of five, a difference of 10 saves, you know, is in an overtime game. I mean, that's that's the only place you need to look. I actually thought that Navy would win this game. I picked Navy to cover last week. I figured they would win at the X, but sure enough, Tam, Sam Talco uh, continues to prove that he is simply one of the best at his respective position in the country. Not only can he win faceoffs, but he can handle the ball after the after the draw is out. He's scoring you know, goals. He's, great. he's scoring he's goals. He's scoring goals. Him. He's great. He's great at 50-50 ground balls. Yeah. He just has a knack for you know getting the ball and making the right play. And as just a sophomore, uh, Ryan Poley's got to be really, really happy that he's coming back for another two and a half years. So yeah, uh, no just a really impressive win for BU. What would you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I've said this before in previous podcasts. I think Sam Talco has to be the front runner for Patriot League Player of the Year. Uh, and I know whether or not BU finishes out at the top of the Patriot League, probably going to be a Loyola. Uh, you know, regardless of that, um, you know, there's no player and just speak, speaking strictly in the terms of player of the year, most valuable player, there's no player in the Patriot League more valuable to their team than Sam Talco. You know, we talked about other teams and their face-off, you know, players and their impact. You talked about Ben Williams. You know, what kind of a team is Syracuse? Well, this is the easiest question of all time. What kind of a team is BU without Sam Talco? Yeah, I, listen, I, I agree. I think in terms of value to his team, uh, he he's the most valuable player to his team in the Patriot League, and 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 one of the most valuable players to their team nationwide. Yeah. I mean, they, BU changes significantly yeah. if Sam Telco is not you know on the roster. No doubt, because no they don't have anyone it. behind them. That's for sure. Uh, the last game of the Shockers, Maryland, Yale. Uh, what a game. Uh, and I know it was low scoring, 13 total goals in the game, but you got to appreciate the coaching, the, the intensity of the game itself. Uh, certainly Maryland going into New Haven, 
God, I hate New Haven. I hate everything about the Bulldogs. I hate, I hate Yale. I hate the staff. I hate the players. I hate the pizza. I hate their pizza. The pizza I sucks, pizza. AT. It's so brutal. Uh, hey, yo, this is the greatest slice of pizza. Go check it out. No, no. I can, I can fling it against the wall, and it's going to stick there. It's disgusting. Uh, like, get away from me with your burnt. pizza. It's burnt. Need, it's burnt. Yeah, it's burnt. Burned. <laughs> but eight it to is. five. Uh, you know what's shocking is Maryland wins the ground ball battle thirty-three to thirteen, and then they go out and they win the face-off battle thirteen to sixteen, uh, or thirteen of sixteen. Um, I mean, that's insanity that they can lose eight to five. Basically, Yale wasn't dropping the ball. They weren't turning the ball over. Yale was really impressive, cemented themselves as one of the best, if not the best team in the country. And as you mentioned, a final four candidate, as I mentioned as well, uh, they are it and they are legit. Yale does not beat themselves. I called it, you know, you pick Maryland. I picked Yale. This game set up well for Yale. You know, Yale got screwed last spring. Uh, you know, and for them to have Maryland coming up to re-stadium, I just thought set up well for Yale. You know, Maryland is a team that, you know, has always prides itself on their toughness, yet I think Yale out-toughed Maryland. And that's a signature for Andy Shea's program. It's, it's become who they are. He makes a point to go and do his respective due diligence on all the prospects that express interest in Yale and he finds the kids that are the toughest of the tough kids out there, the, the, the best teammates, the guys that can handle the academic load. And you got to credit, um, you know, his entire staff for what they've done there. Right. I mean, his first six years, they were, you know, oh and six, oh and six, oh and six, one and five, oh and six. And then I think he won four straight Ivy championships, and they look poised to, you know, to win another Ivy championship this year. Frankly, I hope Brown beats them. But <laughs> they they are, I would say Yale and Denver are the two best coached teams in Division One lacrosse. Yeah. They've never beat themselves. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the ground ball stat. You know, I'll just reiterate it as it relates to Austin Henningsen, the freshman at, from Maryland who went 13 for 16 at the X. He's, he's one of the top five face-off guys in the country as a freshman, and he's going re- to need to repeat that kind of performance next week when they play Notre Dame. And if he can, I wouldn't be surprised if Maryland beats Notre Dame. Um, but I, I agree with you as it relates to Yale. I think Yale right now with Denver – with Notre Dame and probably Duke. I, I think if I had to pick a Final Four, that would be my group of Final Four right now. You, Andy Shea just getting it done. Yeah, he is. Um, He's crushing it. Really impressive. He really, really is. Impressive. He really is. Well, that's it for our Shockers. We'll be right oh. back. Maximize your comfort. Oh. Check it out. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Welcome back to the show. Uh, this is the part where we pick apart these rankings. I, I just don't understand the rankings. I never really get them. I don't understand the media poll. The only poll that really matters is the coaches' poll because ultimately, that's the those are the only people that know. They're the only people that are qualified to do it. They're the only pro- people that you know. They play. They scout these people. These teams. They are the only ones that know. But yet, media has to have their say in the things. And okay, I get it, but. Uh, it's it's fairly ridiculous, some of these things. And the new thing to do right now is to 
you know, to, to, to show your, you know, your, your polls on Twitter. So they're going to show your votes on Twitter. Uh, and now everyone's doing it. So I have no idea who actually has a vote in this and who doesn't have a vote in this. It's really annoying. Uh, it sucks. Uh, anyone with a crayon, half a brain, uh, can put together 20 teams. Um, you know, I, have half it's of just... that. I, don't, I don't have a crayon, but I have the other half. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to do our own rankings and we're going to tear apart this media poll because I think it's the biggest joke of all time. Uh, so here we go. The first five, we're going to go, you know, all through the top 20 to go through first five. The first five are Notre Dame, number one, number two, Denver, number three, Syracuse, number four, Duke, and number five, Loyola. Uh, do you agree or disagree uh, or do you largely agree with that grouping in itself? Uh, well, first and foremost, Denver should be the number one team in the country. They won the national championship last right. year, right. and they're four zero. Why is Notre Dame ranked ahead of them? Why? Age views. Age views. I just don't understand why that's the case. You know, frankly, I think Denver's going to beat Notre Dame because I think Denver's going to win seventy percent of the faceoffs, and I think that that's going to prove too much for Notre Dame to handle. Right. Um, so I got Notre Dame. No, I'm sorry, I got Denver number one. I got uh, Notre Dame number two. Uh, I got Duke number three. I got. Uh, I frankly have Yale number four, but they're not yep. in the top five right here. So I would say Loyola would be next, yep. given their two high quality wins, and then Syracuse. I'm I'm not a believer yet in in what they've done in their body of work. I want to see what happens when they don't win seventy percent of the faceoffs. So I would have Denver, Notre Dame, Duke, Loyola, Syracuse in that order. How about you? Uh, you would have Yale. You said you would have Yale. So Syracuse. Yeah, I mean out. Yale would be ahead. Yeah, yeah out of the yeah. top five. I mean, I would yeah. have Syracuse pull out of the. I wouldn't have Syracuse in the top five. Yale right. would be number four for me. Denver, yeah. Notre Dame, Duke, Yale, Loyola. I agree a hundred percent on that. Uh, don't uh, don't disagree at all. Denver won the national championship last year. Last year, give them give them every give them enough rope to hang themselves, uh, which they won't. Uh, and they're going to carry that number one all the way through. I mean, they got good games coming up. Both of them, both Notre Dame and Denver, have Maryland, North Carolina this week. Uh, yeah. So you know this this is a big week for them. Uh, but the next five, according to this media poll, we'll give a plug. It's the Cascade Maverick Division One Men's Media Poll. Uh, in inside lacrosse, number six is Yale, number seven is Brown, number eight is Maryland, number nine is Hofstra, and number ten is Carolina. Uh, what do you think there, At? I would I would put uh, Syracuse in there at six. Um, you know, then I would have Brown, I would have Hofstra, I would have, frankly, I'd have Towson yep. higher, yep. and they're in the next grouping. Um, but out of this specific grouping, I certainly would have Yale as, as the best out of that group, and then uh, followed closely by, by Brown, and then Hofstra, and then North Carolina, and then Maryland. Why is Maryland ranked higher than Hofstra and North Carolina? I don't understand that. You right. know, Maryland beat High Point. They were losing at halftime, and they got pounded by Yale. I mean, right. that's why are they ranked eighth? I don't understand. Right. Uh, right. It, just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So right. that, that's how I would have it. That's a great call. Uh, I would have almost identical. Um, you know, I, I, I would. I'd have identical. I think that, you know, Yale deserves to be in the top five. I think Brown's good right where they are. We'll give Syracuse the benefit of the doubt on this. Uh, push up Hofstra. Uh, they're 2-0. Um, stop giving credit to teams that are traditionally good and give credit to right. the teams that are good right now. Too much weight is put yep. into polls from the preseason when people don't even know who's going to show up one year to the next. 
Uh, and I think that Towson belongs, uh, like you said, in that top 10. I agree. Uh, so the next one, the next five are 11 to 15. Number 11, Towson. Number 12, Harvard. Number 13, Johns Hopkins. Uh, number 14, Virginia. And number 15, Villanova. What do you think? Uh, Towson clearly is the best of that group. I would have to say Harvard has earned their position following them yep. at 12. I frankly would have Villanova ranked next ahead of Hopkins, which would follow Villanova and then ultimately Virginia behind them. Right. Hopkins played Loyola very tight, you know, lost one goal game. Uh, you know, they got beat in, in – didn't, didn't look particularly strong against UNC, but they lost to UNC, where Virginia lost to High Point at home. Uh, I, I have Towson, Harvard, Villanova, Johns Hopkins, and Virginia in that order. Yeah, this, this, is, where I, this is where it gets ridiculous, and this is hard. It's, it's not like it's an easy thing to do to, to, to vote on this stuff and to get your, you know, the, best, the best top 20, but this is where Princeton belongs. I mean, if you look at this, this grouping how does Princeton not put in, like, if you've got, you know, Hopkins at a one and two, their only win coming in an OT, team, OT game, OT win to a team that's not even ranked in the top 20. That's their only win this year. Uh, then you got Virginia, uh, who, who loses to High Point, who, again, is, is not ranked in here. Uh, and then you've got the only loss to Princeton. The only loss to Princeton is to Hofstra, who is easily in the top 10 easily in the top 10 in the country right now, given their start. Uh, so that's why I feel like this is crazy. Uh, if you want to look at it, Towson should be in the top 10. Um, so I agree with you, but this is where I feel like this gets outrageous. Why is Virginia number 14 in the country? I mean, where, where, where is that? I mean, they, they beat two teams right. in the, outside the top 20. Where is number four? I, I just don't believe it. And yeah, Villanova, I get you. They lose to, um, you know, Harvard by one in OT and Harvard's ranked ahead of them. I get that. So put them right below them. I mean, that's, that's, that only makes sense. Um, so right. that's where I go. Last set of five, uh, number 16, Albany, number 17, Marquette, number 18, Penn State, number 19, Rutgers, and number 20, Boston University. What do you think, AP? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't mind Albany at 16, uh, but I would, I would put Marquette ahead of Albany. I would put Marquette at 16, Albany at 17, Rutgers at 18, BU at 19, and Penn State. I wouldn't have Penn State in the top 20. I know they beat Cornell, but we don't know who Cornell is yet. Um, you know, I, I would... I would feel more comfortable, certainly with Princeton in there at 20 instead of Penn State, but I could also live with Stony Brook, um, you know, uh, and even Bucknell, even though they lost at Colgate. But I, I, if, I, I would like Marquette, Albany, Rutgers, BU, Penn State in that order, but I don't have Penn State as a top 20 team. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all either. I mean, they, got just, they just got shredded by Villanova, shredded by them. And, and again, I'm going to go back to the Princeton thing, and I'll even add Stony Brook and Cornell to it. You put Princeton up against BU, who are you going to take? Princeton, 100% of the time. Princeton. You put Princeton up against, yeah, you put Princeton up against Rutgers, who you got every time. I'm taking, I'm taking Princeton. You got Princeton Prin up against Penn State, I'm taking Princeton. Princeton. Yeah, I'm taking Stony Brook over those three teams. I'm taking Stony Brook and Princeton over Marquette and Albany at this point, too. Um, and so this is where it's just like, it's so painful. I don't painful. disagree. 
it's just like, and then you could also say it's just a, a more of a logic thing than it is anything else. It's like, all right, give the team that you know most likely. Where's your money going to go? You got to give that team the benefit of the doubt until they prove themselves not. You know, and and that's what the, this, this bottom half that or this bottom quarter of teams is just in and out, in and out. I just don't believe it. I I, I don't see it. Um, they're just trying to. You know, it's it's more or less for like page views and. And Twitter followers, it's just, it's just brutal. But like, there's no way that you know you're you're not taking Stony Brook, Cornell, Ohio State, even uh, Georgetown, uh, Princeton, and even Lehigh. I mean, at this point, we'll, we'll not count Lehigh over Boston University. I'm taking those guys. I, listen, and I'm not saying Boston isn't a good team. I'm not saying they, you know, don't necessarily deserve to be in the top twenty at some point. But not right now. That's insane. I mean, there are teams that haven't even played yet. I mean, look at Princeton's record. They got their one and one against the top eighteen. That's the only loss they have, and it's an overtime. It's so crazy. So crazy. Yeah, Virginia is the one that shouldn't be in the top twenty. I mean, they got destroyed by Loyola. Right. They lost to High Point at home. They beat Drexel on the road, who just got pounded by Albany, and they beat Penn at home. Uh, you know, and, and while Penn beat Michigan, what has Virginia done? I mean, why are they 14? It just that doesn't right. make any sense to me. <laughs> I mean, I just, don't, I just don't get it. Now, who knows? You watch Dom. He'll go around, he'll go this weekend, and they'll beat Syracuse this weekend, and then we'll talk about Virginia being the game of golf again. Right when you have them figured out, they let you down, and right when you give up on yourself, you know, you birdie the hole. It, it just, right. it's, it's, it's it's tough to it's tough to be a Virginia fan, I'm sure for for the alums and uh, you know uh, everybody else. But we'll see we'll see what happens. There's still a lot of time left. They got a lot to play, and if anybody can turn them around, it's you know the winningest coach in uh, Division One history in Dom Stargia. So I'm rooting for Dom, but uh, I'm not a believer of Virginia at this point. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, who are we going to see? What Virginia team are we going to see? We've seen them one and eleven over the last three years in the ACC regular season. So, uh, we're going to be back uh, weekly. Players of the week, coach of the week. Maximize your comfort. going to finish up the last piece of the show it's players and coaches of the week week number three at who is your player of the week i uh, you know I'm, I'm going to long island for the brown stony brook game not surprising and uh as much as i wanted to make dylan malloy my player of the week the fact is he broke my single-season scoring record last year, and that's a little bit of a cold prickly. So I went the other end of the field. I went with Jack Kelly, 20 <laughs> saves uh, versus Stony Brook. Uh, Jack Kelly, best goaltender by far in the Ivy League, uh, possibly on a collision course with the Ivy League Player of the Year for 2016. Um, but Jack Kelly got my Player of the Week. Impressive performance. I like it. My player of the week, after going two for 14 and shooting at Harvard, losing an OT in one goal game, uh, goes into College Station at Penn State versus Penn State, shoots eight for 13, 67%, eight goals for 10 total points. Jake Forcaro, my uh, player of the week. What a performance. Uh, and what to a do comeback. it. Uh, 
Yeah, what, what to do it against an in-state rivalry like that, uh, against a Penn State team who I believed, and you did too, that they were turning the corner this year only to get slacked by Villanova. Uh, and, you know, um, but uh, Jack, Jake Fricaro, uh my player of the week. Who's your coach of the week, AT? I'm going down to High Point University for John Torpy. <laughs> uh, what a win. Uh, biggest win in school history, beating Virginia on the road after starting the season 0-3 with losses to Duke, Maryland, and BU, a team I'm sure they felt that they should have beaten uh, to rally back on a Tuesday night and come and beat Virginia in, in what was looking like it was going to be a romp. I think it was 11-6 at one point, and then uh, illegal stick penalty and a couple of uh, shaky calls down the stretch allowed Virginia to tie it up. The game goes into overtime. You're thinking, oh, no, here it goes. Virginia's going to eke this out. Uh, but credit Alex Woodall, their stud freshman faceoff guy, wins the draw. They you know, get a T.O., they run the, the, uh, the play, the Canucks sticks it, and uh, unbelievable win for John Torpy. I'm pumped for him. Coach of the week for me, John Torpy. That's a great one. Uh, my coach of the week, it's so painful to do it. It's so <laughs> painful to do it. I hate Connecticut. I hate New Haven. I hate the Bulldogs. Yeah. I don't even like this guy. I hate this guy. Andy <laughs> Shea. Uh, He's getting it done, man. Oh, man. I mean, here's the deal. We've talked about it so many times, but their Final Four caliber team, they've got to figure out this face-off situation. They can't, go thir- they can't lose 13 for 16, but if they can figure that out, and they will because they've got the staff to do it, uh, and they've got the personnel to do it, and they've got the discipline to do it, uh, but bottom line is Andy Shea got his team together uh, to beat a very tough team in Maryland uh, and not only do it just to beat them. I, they kicked their ass um, and it was fun to they see did. Uh, from an Ivy League guy's perspective. Love it as an Ivy League guy. I Love know. It. Uh, but uh, if you think that a Yale team, if you think an Ivy League team, especially Yale coming into your place uh, away or you're coming into there, that it's going to be like a, a soft game. Uh, you you better be mistaken. They come into your house and they talk smack to you at the midline the entire pregame. They attack you verbally. <laughs> they get into your face, and it's all very very intellectual uh, trash talk as yeah. always. I hate but Yale too. I do. listen. Their false sense of importance is just <laughs> overbearing. You know, it's just brutal. Uh, but so you know brutal. what? If uh, Andy. Shea and the job that he has done, uh, you know, I gotta honestly say, I root for Andy Shea. I hate yeah. Yale, and I want Yale to lose, but I, but I, I root for Andy Shea because I, I just, hate Andy Shea I, too. I, <laughs> I hate their pizza. Their pizza sucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, my coach of the week is Andy Shea. Well deserved. Well deserved. Yes, I really grab him. Happy for him, man. Yeah, Great job. He's great. Uh, so that's it for the podcast. We've got, at the end of this week, we've got our special guest. We've got our picks of the week, and then we've also got our game of the week. Uh, and our next podcast, uh, probably Thursday or Friday. Tune in then. Until then, subscribe, iTunes. Uh, you can also follow us at, on Twitter at InYourFaceLax. Uh, tune in later in the week. Appreciate you listening. Uh, maximize your comfort. We'll be back. Thank you. Better.